0: Hollywood is rated LGBT radio starring your host, Rob Watson. Hey, 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 welcome to this installment of rated LGBT radio. Yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, and always we have um, a really incredible show lined up for you. Um, as you know, um, actually last week's was fairly serious, um, but you know we've had entertainment shows and some of the hot dance music of the summer and shows like that. Well, this one is super serious, and um, we have a major who's who in the LGBT community um, online uh, with us on the show. But we're going to talk about the ex-gay movement. Um, and we haven't heard as much about the ex-gay movement in the current political landscape, although I am going to hazard a guess that it is lurking in the proverbial background um, of what the anti-gay establishment has in mind, but you cannot have a conversation anywhere about the, especially the taking down of the ex-gay movement without talking about Wayne Benson, and Wayne is our guest today, and he has been at the forefront of exposing all of the hypocrisy behind the ex-gay movement over the past decade or two. Um, and he has written a brand new book called Lies with a Straight Face, exposing the cranks and cons inside the x gay industry. And uh, that is chock full of anecdotes and stories and pretty much case studies about that industry and um, their bad intentions and the bad results that uh, they they each ended up with. Uh, many of which he was certainly an instrumental part in, as I said, bringing them down. Um, He is also the executive director of Truth Wins Out, which is the nonprofit organization that has been dedicated to exposing the dangers of the XK movement. Uh, He is a former investigative journalist, having worked with um, W. ABI TV and he is a former spokesperson for the Human Rights Campaign. Um, in 1998 um, he started Truth Wins Out and um, in many cases in terms of these ex-gay movement downfalls it was done with the um, Truth Wins Out as his back. Um, he's been a tireless critic obviously of the ex-gay movement he's exposed the harmful practices it represents, um, especially given that none of it is based on scientific evidence. Um, He is an author of a couple of other books. um, Included in those is a book called Bashing Back, and I think his first book was Anything But Straight. Um, So a lot of A lot of um, history has gone into our conversation today. Um, But before we get to Wayne, uh, I do want to bring on the co-host of the show and the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, Brody Levec, and we're going to find out what is going on in our world. Brody, what's happening?
1: Hey, Rob. Uh, Well, we'll start with the United States House of Representatives. Uh, The U.S. House shot down a procedural vote to move the National Defense Spending Bill forward. Uh, The primary reason was that the Democrats all voted in unison, because the uh, NDAA has got some nasty poison pill amendments and riders uh, that specifically target uh, uh, transgender and uh, queer Americans uh, that are serving in the US Armed Forces. Uh, Ironically, uh, they were assisted by four Republican members of the House who are in direct conflict with Speaker McCarthy. Um, At this point, um, it is looking more and more likely that the US government is probably gonna be facing some sort of shutdown uh, as a direct result on the 30th. Uh, McCarthy's pretty much lost control of the caucus uh, there's also been uh, a bunch of noise coming from the more fringy uh, of what my friend Ari calls the Chaos Caucus, the Freedom Caucus, uh, about unseating McCarthy, which is known as a motion to vacate the chair. So that's apparently also in the works. Um, I've had a couple of conversations with uh, sources in the U.S. Senate uh, who have told me that the Republicans uh, over there are extremely frustrated with the fact that McCarthy doesn't have control of his caucus. Uh, they're also frustrated because they need at this point just to get a clean continuing resolution through to keep the government funded so that they can hash out details on some of these other issues. However, the far right contingent in the US House, which is where the spending bills originate, um, aren't backing down at all. Uh, so essentially at this point, Uh, we're probably looking at the government of the United States past midnight, September 30, shutting itself down. And, of course, it's anybody's guess how long that shutdown will last for. So, um, And we're, again, our community factors into it because uh, some of the things that the far-right extremists want directly target our community, and it's just not going to happen as far as the Democrats are concerned. And the Senate has actually sent the word to McCarthy they want to pass the Queen's CR. They don't want to fight either. Uh, but they're also not going to pass anything coming across from the house that's got poison pills in it. So it's, um, as novelist Joseph Heller wrote some 50 years ago, it's a classic tax 22. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Uh, looking around in uh, news, I've got some uh, interesting news. Um, actor, advocate, writer, film star, and a reading advocate, LaVar Burton, will be the chair this year of Banned Books Week, which starts October 1st and runs through the 7th. Uh, this is the first time that an actor has ever served as honorary chair of Banned Books Week. Now, this is an annual week-long event that highlights uh, free and open access to information and brings together the entire literature and book community in support of the freedom to seek and express ideas. Uh, Lavar of course, is probably best known for two things. Uh, In 1977, as a very young man, he portrayed uh, Kunte Kinte from novelist Alex Haley's uh, tele-adaptation of Roots, the the novel. And then after that, he's probably best known uh, for his role as Lieutenant Jordy LaForge on Star Trek, The Next Generation and The Following Franchise. Uh, LeVar has been a longtime advocate uh, for reading and reading literacy. He's worked hand in hand with GLAD, who is one of the Band Books Week uh, Coalition members. He's working directly with P Flag this year. Um, and I think it's really kind of a, a thing. LeVar, of course, is the host of the beloved Reading Rainbow series. Uh, And so this is a good thing to have LaVar in that. This year, the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom documented an unparalleled increase in attempts to remove books and materials from libraries and schools. Uh, As you know, here in California, we had a school district that was banning course curriculum because it had mention of a civil rights and human rights activist by the name of Harvey Milk. And because Harvey was openly gay, there were certain conservatives in the Unified School District that didn't like that. As a matter of fact, the board president uh, in a meeting openly referred to Milk as a pedophile. That brought the attention of California Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, who basically said, you guys will comply with state law. You will educate kids, which includes LGBTQ history because it's mandated. And yeah, pretty slimy douchey to call you know Harvey Milk a pedophile. Although the governor didn't use that exact phraseology, I did. But the intent was there in Governor Newsom's messaging. So this year, from October 1st through the 7th, um, is Banned the Books Week. And at a local level, uh, we really need some support out there, especially on these school boards. Uh, we are doing Mortal Kombat with an organization out of Florida called Monster Liberty. And they are all about banning any kind of literature uh, that talks about our community. So let's get after them, folks. Um, Let's see. Also this week, um, moving from that, um, the U.S. Census Bureau has asked the Biden administration to be able to ask test questions on sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, what's unique about this is this is part of the annual American Community Survey, which the Census Bureau does every year, but this time, the data is going for metrics on ages 15 and older. They really want to talk to the Gen Zers and to the millennials. So there's a lot of focus on that. Uh, so they are reworking their wording, and they're getting, they, they put it to the White House um, to get some sort of uh, you know, signing off in the administration on that. Uh, one of the things, uh, Lee Badgett, who's an economics professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, uh, was talking to my colleagues at PBS, and Professor Badgett said this, younger LGBT people might not yet be out to their parents or others who are answering these questions as a proxy recorder, so the quality of the data might not be as good for the younger people. Conversely, we anticipate having more information about LGBTQ people than is currently available, including the socioeconomic and demographics of folks who are not in same-sex couple households. And that's kind of important to note there, Rob, because the survey in the past, of course, there's been a lot of emphasis on same-sex households because, yep, married folks are kind of a little more visible. Um, This year, the Census Bureau is saying, let's take a look at everybody else. So hopefully um, this will help in assisting in getting some accurate data in on the American Community Survey. Um, And this is one of the things that the folks are looking at to kind of improve things uh, because they're going to be covering metrics on occupational status, industry wages, uh, LGBTQ members who were born outside of the U.S. and have immigrated in. Uh, LGBTQ people with disabilities and their families, which is a critical area that doesn't often get a lot of oxygen and probably really should. So the Census Bureau is after the White House to sign off on it. That shouldn't be much of a problem. And away they go. Um, The only other thing of note outside of the usual um, is, of course, obviously uh, we're starting to work our way into the 2024 cycle. Uh, Once we get past, essentially, the 1st of November, we're a year out, so we're gonna see a lot of push. And of course, this is a critical election. But beyond presidential, I wanna note the following, because this is important. This is the conversations I've had uh, with the Human Rights Campaign, GLAAD, and PFLAG. One of the things that we need to talk about in terms of focus for our community is that there are going to be 40,000 open school board seats in the 2024 cycle. And as I said in an op-ed a few weeks ago, we need to pin the tail on the right jackass. There are two primary targets that we need to think about very carefully in terms of making sure people are aware of why these 40,000 plus school board seats are so critical. The first is Mm -hmm. Moms for Liberty and their legal counsel, uh, which is some heavy-duty anti-gay. In fact, three of them are listed as hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And a failed real estate agent out of Brooklyn, New York, who runs the Libs of TikTok, Twitter, X, however you want to label it, um, who's constantly stirring up uh, the flying monkey contingent. And we really do need to get people proactively involved. That we've got to stop these people getting elected to these school boards, We've got to start blocking this because when they start screaming parental rights, which is what they're doing, this is their their mantra, their meme, their battle cry. The problem is they're only talking about themselves, you know, it's our parental rights, you know, and and quite frankly, with the way that they phrase it, it comes off in a really bad way. So pardon the pun, but we can't let them trump our rights because they think that their so-called parental rights are superior no that's not how this works so as we start to move into the cycle uh, we start to need you know more and more people getting proactively engaged uh and we need to start really directly addressing um you know the folks that are directly responsible for this and it's moms for liberty they're well funded they've got legal consultation that unfortunately is pretty effective and the thing of it is is we really need to Stop acting as progressives like we're we're cats in a parade with some idiot trying to hurt us. We literally need to start thinking about lockstep on this issue. I think the same focus that the gay movement put into marriage equality now has to be put into, you know, protecting the kids and protecting the schools and protecting LGBTQ families, especially the LGBTQ families. Because if we don't stop these people, okay, you know, they will succeed in some places. And here's the thing. It's not just the usual places. We're not talking the red states and the flyovers. and right. it, it, that's that's a given. We're talking about California, Colorado, New York, New Jersey, Washington State, Oregon. We're talking places that you know are supposedly LGBTQ friendly and safe houses, and the reality is, is that's what they're targeting. I and mean, here in California, we now have seven count them, seven school boards who have passed basically instructions to policies that tell their faculty and staff, oh, we want you to out-trans kids and queer kids to their parents, okay? They don't care. The the reason those kids may not be out or the reason nobody's been told is because those parents are non-affirming and or in some cases would shove them into, you know, some form of, you know, other issues that would cause probably mental health crises across the board, as our friend Lance Preston has said on the show here before. Uh, so, yeah, we need to address this, and and now's the time to do it. And folks, you know the it can't happen here. Well, guess what? You know, just like those awful mass shootings, it can happen here, and it is happening here. And with that, I'll throw it back to you.
0: Okay, great. Well, with that, I I do want to bring on Wayne um, because I want to kind of dovetail what you just described, Brody. First of all, Wayne, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's great to be on.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm sure you heard Brody's um, discussion about, you know, Moms for Liberty and Libs of TikTok and all that. Um, I wanted to ask you, because um, you chronicle the the arc of the x ray movement incredibly well in your new book lies with a straight face and um but the x-gate not but the x-gay movement was a direct affront on anybody with gay feelings and trying to get us to convert to being straight the current mood or the current um uh strategy seems to be with the moms of uh, liberty i almost call them moms of tiktok but moms of liberty folks <laughs> where um they are um kind of almost going the other way you know it's like where they are trying to lock down what they are implying is going to turn kids gay or trans and um you know, lives of TikTok is all been out of shape over everything it, that has to do with making trans, young trans kids' lives not only comfortable, but affirming so that they can transition or they can become whoever it is that they truly are and not get into suicidal and depressive um, mental health issues. Um, wh- how would you, being kind of our forefather of the anti-ex-gay movement. How do you position that ex-gay movement with what is going on currently?
2: Well, that's ex-gay messaging, what you mentioned. When they are pushing the message that your child could be altered or changed or influenced by simply reading a book about an LGBTQ person or being introduced to Harvey Milk in history class, That's really the core of that message, that you can change, that people are supposed to be heterosexual unless a malign influence intercedes. And, of course, the answer to that, the religious right says, is to either keep those influences away, is what we're seeing now, or in other cases, uh, when someone's already, you know, says they're gay or trans and they can go to a program to get, quote, fixed. So it's really part of the same message. And by the way, these are the same groups, uh, many of them, who are behind this: the Family Research Council, American Family Association, focus on the family, that are, are really, I think, driving this. And um, you know, you mentioned some of the newer groups: Lives for TikToks, for TikTok, and um, Moms for Liberty. But it's really, it's really all part of the same movement. And what they're doing is they're flooding and making it very difficult for us. At one time, they're flooding the entire country, everywhere from more liberal bastions, as you mentioned, like California, to more conservative places uh, such as Alabama or Florida. And uh, it's making it difficult to fight. They also have unlimited money right now. Uh, They've had a big injection of money into their movement by Leonard Leo from the Federalist Society. He was just given a $1.8 billion donation from a philanthropist. And uh, this was recent last, this was, um, within a year. And a lot of this is being funded by that dark money that we're seeing. I don't think the LGBTQ movement is keeping up in terms of, um, financing with all this new money on the right. And I I think uh, that's how they're able to have this national campaign. It's being funded. And I think that's something we need to address.
0: No, absolutely. And, um, it's insidious and it's just like the abortion issue where we cannot let them go to the assumption that because things seem to go quiet that they've gone away. They have the ability to lie in stealth for years and years and decades and decades while they build back towards um, trying to unravel things. Um, I want to go to the book. Um, One of the quotes that Um, is mentioned early on in the book, was an assessment of what happens personally to someone who is subjected to, quote-unquote, the ex-gay, quote-unquote, therapy. Um, And this is a quote from your book. Quote, I was forced to construct a cognitive dissonance that divided my soul from my physical being. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about that and the effect? the damaging effect um, ex-gay practices have
2: on innocent people. I wanted to make the point in lies with a straight face that when the right wing says, oh, we just have conversion therapy for those who choose to enter it. I want to just point out that nobody chooses unless they are under enormous amount of pressure And the right dismisses it. Oh, oh, it's for anybody who wants it. Well, why would somebody want to change the most beautiful feelings of all, feelings of love, feelings of sexual arousal, unless they were made to feel that these feelings and emotions were evil, that there was something wrong with them that needed to be fixed. And I point out through my personal story the pressures I was under uh, and the pressures to, for example, have a sexual experience with a girl that I didn't want. And a lot of people go through that because by acknowledging your truth, that you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, you will be forced to endure ridicule or in some cases rejection of a family, particularly comes from a more religious background, such as uh, Pentecostal or evangelical. And uh, so I, I talk about that in my book and point out that. Uh, When someone says that they want to change, you have to ask why. And almost always it's because of lies that are being spread about how awful it is to be LGBT from the right. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. And I related to that part of the book as well, though I didn't have the specific pressure from an individual girl. I definitely adopted the absolute moral stance of a you know, no sex before marriage guy, you know, to avoid any sexual contact. So it was it was like, I, you know, I'm too moral to have premarital sex. And so that was how I personally was able to hide it. But you do talk about, you um, point out early on, not only are these movements and supposed therapists and all these people that are, you know, trying to get at kids to program them to not be gay. But you talk about do-it-yourself efforts that a lot of people put themselves under. Um, Before we get into these other people, can you go into that a little bit about what happens with people?
2: Yeah, a lot of people, when they think of ex-gay ministries or conversion therapy, they think of survivors, those who actually went through the programs. And I talk about in the book how these organizations – affect a lot more people than the actual survivors themselves. First and foremost, the religious right puts forth that message so they can pass anti-LGBTQ laws, or as you mentioned a few moments ago, trying to ban, say, books in schools. And the other part of that message that's very destructive is you don't have to go through a program to hear the message. You can see it in the media, you find it online. So the X-gate message itself is much broader. And so people who don't go through an official ex-gate ministry or have an exorcism or go through the, this quack therapy often just, as it says, do it yourself. They try it every time they see someone attractive who's a guy, they turn off their mind. Or if it's a woman you know, or a lesbian, they turn, off, turn it off. And it's very destructive as well. It doesn't have to be an official program for it to be incredibly mm-hmm. harmful to people who try – uh, to to change themselves and that's the, by far the vast majority of people who uh, are impacted by XG you know the xk methods rather than,
0: you know. yeah and I relate to that quite a bit and it goes back to your quote about um, cognitive dissonance when I read that it was like going okay I identify with that before I came out it was I was very compartmentalized you know there was this gay mindset that I would go into occasionally, but then I would leave it to live the rest of my life. And um, so I, I think you, you totally nailed that issue. Um, at what point did you, I mean, like I said, you've been our white knight going after a lot of these groups through the years. Um, what was it during your time at the human rights campaign that you focused in on, I'm going to do this? Uh, that it became your mission. When did that kick in for you personally?
2: Well, I talk about that more during my first book, Anything But Straight. And what I talk about is I came out to my parents when I was 18, and they were horrified. They thought I was going to tell them I got my girlfriend pregnant. Or I told them I was gay. <laughs> and my my dad's reaction was you still like basketball don't you and i'm like yes dad i do uh thankfully my parents came around and and they're very accepting but before they did we were walking in the mall together when i was 18 and they saw this tape in walden books it was called gay and unhappy it was very strange the first side of this cassette tape was uh like an anti-gay enya picture that kind of like soft music with self-hypnotic music And the other half was this guy with a very deep voice saying, you like women. You like the way they smell. You like the way they feel. And I was mad because I felt my parents were ripped off. They were built out of their hard-earned money at a moment of vulnerability and desperation. Mm -hmm. And they rejected the tape when they asked me, well, what did the tape teach you? And I said, well, the tape taught me that my parents made me gay and they're terrible, that you're the reason. And of course my parents were wonderful parents, so they knew this wasn't true. Uh, so fast forward many years later, I was just hired at the human rights campaign as a spokesperson. And within a few weeks of me being there, this this was 1998 and the religious right, around 15 groups launched a massive campaign called Truth and Love, where they put advertisements, full page in newspapers such as the New York Times, USA Today, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, et cetera, all around the country, the LA Times, and the message was, you can pray away the to gay or get help through therapy, and they used ex-gays, ex-lesbians to impart this message, and uh, so I was thrust into this, and I already had a problem with these groups because I saw the way it impacted my own family and made them doubt that I was gay when I was 18, so I, I really wanted to put them out of business. So i thought I saw for myself that it was consumer fraud as a teenager, and now I had my opportunity to fight back. Uh, I, and I, And I ended up getting involved in it, though, because I was new to the organization, and I hadn't been on television yet. And so people didn't know who I was. So I was able to slip into their press conferences as just some person. <laughs> you know they assumed I was on the right, and I would get the intelligence from their press conferences or their meetings. And uh, I was able to take that back to the Human Rights Campaign for our response so we could formulate one. And so that's how how I got involved. And what I realized was there wasn't that much information out there to counter these groups. And I started collecting it. And I started collecting stories of survivors and putting out a booklet on that. And um, suddenly, by doing that, I became a go-to person nationally for that. And uh, one thing led to another. And... The culmination of that was the head of the Truth and Love campaign, the most famous ex-gay activist, a man named John Paul, who was right. the chairman of Exos International and was on the board of Focus on the Family and also a, a spokesperson for them, a group called Love One Out. Uh, I, I, I photographed him in a gay bar in Washington a couple of years after the Truth and Love campaign, which was a devastating blow to their movement. I mean, this was the guy who they put on the cover of Newsweek under the headline, gave her life with a question mark. And uh, I also outed the second most famous spokesperson they had, named a man of, named Michael Johnston, uh, who was also Jerry Falwell's spokesperson and the founder of National Coming Out of Homosexuality. They play on National Coming Out Day. And uh, we caught him, uh, me and a, an attorney named Michael Hamer, having motel room orgies with people he met online. And uh, so we took down the the, two spokespeople that were most famous from that campaign. And um, they never really quite recovered from that that, that, uh, one-two punch, but that's how I got involved in it. I mean, it was just because it it was just really, for me, being angry that they exploited my parents when I was 18. Right. (laughs) So bottom line don't piss Wayne off. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think, I think, I think, I, think that, I think they would get, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would think they would take a refund on that X game tape at this point. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Boy, was that a bad sale? Um, but I wanted to ask you about John, um, because, uh, you do go into that in the book about, you know, somebody spotted him and called you immediately and you went running to the bar with your, your camera out a flare and, um, uh, and John is, uh, actually we we did a show on uh pray away the documentary that uh, John is featured in a lot of the people in your book are featured in that film that were were now out people that were at the time part of the the movement and um and all of that um and John now is a a chef and um has a partner and um i think I think you and he and I are all Facebook friends. What is your attitude towards a lot of the folks now that were players in this at the time? Um, Is it all's good, forgiven, or um, is there some
2: residual misgivings about them? I think that it's complicated. I find some of these people uh, friendly. I'm friends with them now. We used to be bitter enemies and fight on radio and and, and TV green rooms. (laughs) We would go against each other um, and fight on, you know, in in counter-protests and counter-protests. I tried to cover this in the book from a journalistic perspective and lay out what happened. And I understand if people forgive them and I understand if people do not forgive them, I think it's up to the individual. And I I try not to tell anyone how they should feel about that. I mean, how can I tell someone who wasted 10 years of their life and um, thought about suicide or got hooked on drugs or, or, you know, are are the people or the parents of kids who killed themselves because of these leaders, how can I tell them to forgive? I cannot do that. You know, it's up to each person. but. My role isn't their preacher or their rabbi or their imam. I'm not here to absolve them. I'm not here to sentence them to hell or purgatory either. My role is to keep keep people from entering these programs, to stop people. My role is to send the message that these programs are destructive, they're consumer fraud, and they lead to nothing but harm and destruction. And these former leaders are powerful at delivering this message. Because how can people read the the books to change when the people that actually wrote the books are saying it doesn't work, it never works. And there's also something that the former ex gay leaders can do that nobody else can do. And they can explain why they lied. Because the survivor message is incredibly powerful in explaining the harm. But what isn't explained simply from a survivor message or for, for me is is why people say they change and swear and go on television and, and get quoted newspapers saying that they, they changed completely and they're attracted to the opposite sex. The, sub- the former ex-gay leaders, on the other hand, can articulate what was going through their mind and why – they lied, and why nobody should believe the people coming forth today who are taking their place and saying they've changed. And it's important people understand that. And I, I think that is probably the power of their message. So the, I come from it from every different angle. I put forth clergy, survivors, uh, former ex-gay leaders, uh, parents, because each one has a different message and can reach different people. And survivors are part of that equation. But um you know i i I don't pull any punches in the book, and I quote them exactly from what they said, and they do need yeah. to be held accountable, but at the same time I, I think that um some of some of the former ex contributortors are trying to make amends to the to the extent you can, again, you can't bring somebody back who committed suicide, but they are committed to spending the rest of their lives saying this does not work. And they can't bring people back, but maybe they can prevent people from experiencing these programs in the future and I, and I think that um can be productive
0: yeah, I think that's amazing perspective I, I love what you just said um um and I totally get that because I mean, I do remember um back in the day I absolutely remember holding that newsweek um uh edition that had Pollock and his wife on it and just. You know, especially at that time and where everybody was, you know, because being gay wasn't that accepted and, and all of that. And it was horrifying because it, it just really, it, it set up a conversation. It set up something that, that I knew in my life I was going to have to try to defend in some way that, that I knew was a lie. I mean, I knew looking at the cover that that was not true for them on you know it was and you talk about that in the book about the the absurdity of all
2: that i do want to jump ahead though another well i just want to quickly add that not only did you not believe it knew it wasn't true i make it clear in the book that the religious right themselves knew it was not true and they didn't care because it was about passing anti-lgbtq laws former xj leader a tibet cantu schneider was candid. She said the right never cared about what happened to the young people affected by this uh, who might have wanted to commit suicide or, ha- or had. And they also didn't believe that gay men could change. But it didn't right. matter about, the truth didn't matter. It was about passing these laws. And uh, this was all just, um, it was just all public relations for them and, and, and a message at the expense of actual real human beings. And that just goes to show it's an indictment of the far right and their lack of empathy and humanity. For people who call themselves, you know, Christians, I can't think of anything less, quote, Christian than the way they put forth this message, and they knew it didn't work behind the scenes. They would say it.
0: That's a a great point, and it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. That is an absolute through line of what they're doing right now with uh, trans kids. They don't care that there are sending trans kids into deep depressions and and the suicide rates are going up and crisis that they're creating now. They don't care about that at all. You know, they're they're yes. just so caught up right. in their political dogma. I mean, it, it, you know, excellent point. I, I want to. Take well, yeah, you forward
2: I mean, Okay, <laughs> I'm saying they're, saying they're going to they, – they're saying they want to protect the kids, but whose kids? They say that they represent yeah. parents, right, but which parents? Clearly not all parents, not all kids. They really don't care about our kids or our, the parents of our kids.
0: No, and even the kids they're claiming they're helping are probably kids that they're hurting anyway. Because, it, it, you know, there are kids in those Christian families. last thing they need to do is have their parents repressing their perceived um Mm -hmm. sexuality i mean you touch you bring up one person in the book that i actually have written a column about in the past before too is um little eight-year-old Gabriela fernandez who was um killed by his parents because they perceived him to be gay um you know they're they're absolute horror stories and the this moms of of um i keep wanting to call moms of tiktok again But um, Moms of Liberty and uh, Libs of TikTok and all those don't care one bit. Um, I want to ask you, though, about the other part of history that you played a hand in and um, had an effect was on the Michelle Bachman presidential campaign with you and your associate John Becker. And John also has been on the show before. Um, But uh, tell us how what happened there and um how you kind of orchestrated that downfall
2: yeah that was the fun part about writing a sequel uh with with lives with a straight face we 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 went further than the first book the first book ended in 2002 and it was still a big question mark about these ministries what what would happen they were still very strong in fact they hadn't reached their heyday yet and so my first book was 2003. So 2006, three years later, and after Polk was exposed in Michael Johnston, three years after that, George W. Bush had ex-gay leaders, Alan Chambers and Randy Thomas from Exodus International at the White House. So this was still you know, raging. So it's fun to get to tell what happened after that, the fall of all these groups in the new book. And part of that, we tell the story of Michelle and Marcus Bachman Michelle was running for president, and believe it or not, she was gaining traction, and for those who might be younger who don't remember Michelle (laughs) Bachman who are listening, she was Marjorie Taylor Greene before Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was the original, and she was incredibly homophobic, and her husband, Marcus Bachman, is just as crazy and perceived by many, in terms of stereotypically, to possibly be gay, in, in, in terms of mannerisms, to be quite blunt. And they were obsessed with this issue, and she's running for president now, and, and she's actually gaining traction. USA she won the, the Iowa caucus, as a matter of fact. Yes, she, exactly. Michelle Bachman was gaining steam. So when that when she started to be taken a little more seriously by journalists, we're still the I mean, truth. One's out. My organization starts getting calls. Hey, what about the, this rumor that Marcus Bachman's practicing x therapy? We didn't have an answer to that. We weren't sure. We we suspected, and there was only one way to find out, and that was to actually go to his clinic in Minnesota undercover. And John Becker was my communications director at that point. And we decided at a meeting we were the organizational space in Vermont for a few years. And we went out for, you know, maple pancakes and had a discussion and we decided to go in and we bought the undercover gear and uh, John went and erased his, his online profile so he couldn't be tracked and so forth. We went, he went undercover for a week uh, to Bachman and associates and proved that Michelle and Marcus Bachman were lying. That in fact, conversion therapy was part of their clinic and yeah, it broke uh, originally, I believe it was the nation uh, magazine. And uh, then ABC news picked it up and uh, or, or was it, it was uh, Brian Ross picked it up and went everywhere. It was, it was comedians are making fun of it. It was a very massive blow to the XK industry because it became a, a joke. That's the best you can do when you get the not late night comedians making fun of them there is nothing more, I think, damaging to them than when that happens. And that's what happened with uh, when we exposed them to practicing uh, conversion therapy.
0: Yeah, it. I mean, it, it was classic, and um, it, it was important to, to just show the underbelly. It's sort of like, you know, we all know what's going on. We know what they're doing. Um, but, you know, the fact that you guys went in to document it and verify it, more for the edifice of everyone else who wants to give it a pass. Um, you know, super important. Um, one of the things, and I'm sorry to jump around because I want to hit you with some of the key points. The book is excellent, and everybody needs to get it and read it um, and absorb it because uh, apart from giving a very astute history of the ex-gay movement, um, it also gives you the the Philosophical origins of where they're coming from then and now Um, But uh, one of the things that you do discuss in the book is the fact that even though there have been legislations in Numerous states and I fought for it for the first one when it happened in California originally, but there are legislations against quote-unquote reparative therapy for minors um, you point out how that isn't taking care of the job completely. That um, what is the shortcomings and, and the the things that we need to be looking even deeper in that, that it's not eradicating the problem.
2: Yeah, I support these laws. I think they send a great message. Uh, I think they get a lot of really good media. But in some senses, they're symbolic and haven't really shut down any ex-gay ministries or, or you know, conversion therapists. And that is because it's very easy to hide behind the First Amendment, especially in the direction the court is going right now with people like Amy Coney Barrett and Samuel Alito in the Supreme Court, and say, um, you know, one day you're a conversion therapist and the next day they pass a law and suddenly you find God and become a Christian therapist. And then you're able to pretty much do conversion therapy under the rubric of religion, and so they're able to get away with it. There's a, there's a loophole big enough to drive a semi through. And so while I testified on two of these these bills in New Jersey and Massachusetts, and I support very much these laws, we have to remember that it doesn't end the problem. And sometimes I think they're presented as a panacea, as uh, it, it's a ban. And so people just check the check, do the check mark. And that can be very damaging in the same way when I worked at the human rights campaign one of those damaging problems we had is that people assumed that it was illegal to fire someone for being lgbtq so it was made it more difficult to pass uh, the employment non-discrimination act and the same thing here we have people who, who believe that oh we passed this law in our state we don't have to worry well you know what california was um you know passed this uh passed this law i believe the first and California has the largest exchange ministry in the country right now, called Change Movement. It's part of a cult church that has 11,000 members and it does over 60 million dollars annually. And it's very slick, this Change Movement. It, it, it's very um, impressive in terms of their marketing. And so this is happening in a state where this, these laws are passed. So I, I think those laws are great, but I think the most effective response we've ever had wasn't a law. It was a lawsuit brought by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, Truth Runs Out and myself participated in helping find plaintiffs at the beginning of the suit. And the lawsuit was against a group called Jonah, which stood for Jews offering new alternatives to homosexuality. And uh, it was based in New Jersey, the lawsuit, and a jury found them guilty of consumer fraud. And shut them down. They had to close their doors and turn off their website. That was the most effective of all. And I think our movement should consider more lawsuits, consumer fraud lawsuits. And the reason is they can't hide behind the First Amendment and say, oh, we're religious. Well, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're religious, if you're committing fraud, you're making promises you can't deliver and delivering disasters you never promised. So I think we should focus in the future more on these laws, particularly after the 11th Circuit uh, just overturned some of these conversion therapy laws, for example, in Florida. And a couple of conversion therapists in Florida actually were paid damages, six-figure damages. So they were actually paying these quacks because they, quote, took away their First Amendment rights, which I think is, by the way, preposterous. I mean, we're talking right. about medical regulation. It's not regular First Amendment. These judges are I, I, any of these judges that are ruling this way, I, I, I think, are incredibly misguided. You can't, for example, be a heart surgeon and, and give someone a heart surgery and say, one day after surgery, you know what? I think it's great if you eat three Big Macs a day and fries. Well, because that that's malpractice, right? You can't. It's it's speech. Sure, you're you huge words, but it's also very damaging. And if somebody right. did it, an actual surgeon did that, if a cardiologist did that, they would people would want their license yanked. You can't say, Oh, it's just yeah. words. And I think
1: it's you know, like the same goes said, for conversion therapy.
2: Yeah,
0: especially if they said, you know, don't take your heart medicine, it's going to be God's will. You know, and this is my medical opinion. It's like, no, that's your religious opinion. And yeah, no, it's, uh, point point well taken. Um, one issue that I have I've written about and Um, has been sort of a, not that the conversion therapy stuff isn't ugly on its own, but even a deeper ugliness to me is the fact that a lot of people who are involved in these programs are essentially repressed gay men who are in denial about their own sexuality, but in the process of exercising these programs are playing out their own sexual stuff um, usually on people who are confused and dealing with their own sexuality and that there's a lot of abuse um, you allude to it in when you're talking about journey um, uh, into man, manhood um, and their retreat um, there are things there and there are other parts of the book where you touch on that But so I wanted to pull that out as an issue where how do you see that issue and do you see it as
2: predominant in these ex-gay, quote-unquote, therapies? Ex-gay ministries and conversion therapy uh, are recipes for sexual abuse. As you've just pointed out, you have a bunch of repressed counselors, ministry leaders, therapists, who are gay themselves and fighting their own demons, so to speak, in these private settings with vulnerable people. We're looking to them as... as, uh, Authority figures, and it's a uniquely vulnerable position and We saw that, for example, in the Jonah case when we put them out of business with a southern poverty lawsuit uh, Southern Poverty Law Center lawsuit in that case, we had two men, uh, crime Levin and Ben Younger, among others, who were made to undress in front of a mirror and fondle themselves and we have seen in other Occasions, for example, the International Healing Foundation and Richard Cohen, and Journey in the Manhood as well, which is also called Brothers Road, these hugging sessions. It's non-sexual touch, they call it. Are you serious? You have a guy who uh, <laughs> is gay and they're having 20-minute hugging ses- ses- sessions? I mean, in the world, the world I come from, that's called foreplay. Right. And there's a lot, there's a lot of delusion going on with the counselors themselves. And that's why we've seen almost every single major ex-gay leader come out of the closet or be scandalized because they don't change. They're, no, they're just as gay as their clients. We've seen so many examples of sexual impropriety. The, the, the other group that was large for many years, Homosexuals Anonymous was the second largest next to Exodus International. Their leader was Colin Cook, a Seventh-day Adventist minister. And he was fired because he was having mutual masturbation sessions and naked massages with the people he was trying to cure. We had an exodus. We shut down, uh, my organization helped shut down the ministry in Michigan, Corduroy Stone. They had a counselor who was giving these uh, you know, massages, these, these these touch sessions, and they gave it to a, a, a former uh,
1: Uh-oh. Well, it looks like we just lost Wayne. He just disconnected. Just uh, yeah. Well, if he was on an iPhone, there's a good chance that that was a uh, premature battery failure. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: well, we'll we'll see if he, he does is able to call back in, and we can conclude. Or, um but, uh, yeah, one other thing in the book, and I'll talk about it in his absence, he does talk about the Freedom March. And, Brody, I don't know if you remember that, where um, I do. in, yeah, it, I think it was several years ago they were uh, they declared that July was going to be ex-gay month because of Ju- June being, um, you know, pride month. And in at the end of quote unquote ex Gay Month, they were supposed to do this Freedom March, and the first one was an beyond embarrassing failure. There were literally twelve people who showed up, and they you know they had predicted this was going to be March on Washington. I think Wayne has joined us again, um, but the um, anyway that that was a huge, huge, huge failure. Failure. Wayne, welcome back. We thought we lost
2: you. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. a kind of love the technology. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, so my, my point is that like, over and over again, every single leader has been engaged in what, every one of these organizations in sexual impropriety because you're uniquely vulnerable and, and to these people who present themselves as experts. So, for example, if they say, oh, we need to take off your underwear. It's part of a program. Uh, people will do it. Because, like, well, they, this person, they, they say they're the expert, they've written a book, they, they must know what they're talking about, so they do it. And people are regularly taken advantage of. I would talk about, you know, they call, talk about LGBTQ people, you know, they accuse us of, quote, grooming. Uh, that's actually, that type of stuff is actually what their worst fears is going on in these so-called ministries and conversion therapy. Yeah. If I was a parent, I, would, I wouldn't i would get my child within 100 miles of one of these organizations. It's a recipe for not like failure, but sexual abuse as well. It's something that's not, a, it, you know, it's not a bug. It's a feature of these groups. I think we have enough evidence yeah, to say no, that
0: it's, confidently. Yeah. Yeah, no, great point. It's like that's even, even people who are anti-gay. It's like I would want them aware that your son is likely to be sexually abused as part of this process. And, you know, because it. You know, it, it is all done from this feel of people, and unfortunately, we are running short on time. So, I want to do some of the house cleaning. How do people get the book um, Lies with a Straight Face? Number one, and number two, how can they support Truth Wins Out and your continuing efforts?
2: Well, first, I could find uh, the book and a link purchase on waynebesen.com that's w-a-y-n-e b-e-s-c-n dot com and it's available right now for pre-orders on Barnes & Noble and you can also go and get it for Kindle uh, the, the book it's going to be available soon on audiobook, which which is quite a story in and of itself for another day. But, uh, so the <laughs> audiobook will be available as well. If those We need help fighting these ministries. They are flush with money. They're becoming more aggressive. In fact, they went to Washington, D.C. and were bragging about speaking with dozens of lawmakers. This group changed, had done that. And so you can help us counter them at truthwinsout.org. That's truthwinsout.org, and uh, we hope you'll support us and I hope you'll buy lies with a straight face Uh, and and let me know and what you think of it. If you do, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely go out and buy it. It is destined
0: to be a book banned in Florida and other places. It's a badge of honor, I'm sure, but um, you need to own it and and get it out there. Um, Please do support Truth Wins Out. Um, Wayne, I want to thank you. First of all, I want to thank you for writing the book. I want you to th- I, but more importantly, I want to thank you for being you and what you have done. Um, when are these histories are finally written 100 years from now, your name is definitely going to be in there as probably the forefront leader against this um, horrible scourge of ex-gay, ex-gay ministries. You have been there as the David to its Goliath time and time again. And um so we as a community owe you um a deep debt of gratitude for, for being you and the fight you have undertaken uh for us. So, thank, thank you. you. Thank and you, that's, thank that's you. why
2: yeah. Yeah, thank you. And that's why I wanted to write it because we're in an age of censorship and historical revisionism. And I wanted Lies with a straight face to write the truth to ensure that future generations know fact from fiction.
0: Perfect. And And that is what we are all about. And thank you so much for being here today with us on the show. And with that, we have to conclude. Uh, We will be back again next week with another great show. I have no idea what it is, but uh, Brody will tell me sometime this week. And I can guarantee you, though, it will be a great show. Also read the Los Angeles Blade. Um, It is the publication you want to read every single day. New and unique and high-quality journalism as authorized by GLAD itself. Um, and you can find that at losangelesblade.com. For those of uh, us at Rated LGBT Radio, we'll be back and talk to you again mm-hmm. next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Rated LGBT
1: Radio.
2: With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere.